So welcome to the show. I'm David Speed. I'm Adam Brazier. And this is Creative Rebels. Uh, it's a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. We started our first company, Graffiti Life, in a small garage. Yeah, it wasn't easy. But we built the company up to the stage where now we're regularly working with brands like Disney and Nike. And we've been lucky enough to make art all over the world. On this podcast, we interview successful creators. Their advice will enable you to take action and turn your passion into a career. There's literally been no better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people are going to tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to tell you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Hey Rebels. Hello from New York City. Yeah, we're currently recording this intro in Long Island City in New York. We've been uh, running around the city. Like like madmen. Like madmen, literally, <laughs> collecting some, some really interesting... Uh, interviews from some incredible guests yeah we've got some some great guests coming soon so definitely stay tuned yes this week i would really like to talk about something that two people mentioned in dms to us this week yeah what's that at rebels create on instagram we got two dms this week both asking the same question which is how do i choose between many different interests that I have because you guys are always saying I should do what I love for my job but I love a load of different stuff how do I choose the way I would do that is it's a kind of problem solving method that I've used for quite a few different things to help work out what you want to do and that basically consists of writing writing four columns down on a piece of paper in your first column list all of the things that you like and want to do or you're passionate about and then in the first column go down and then rate out of 10 how much you enjoy doing that column one is enjoy so one hate it which means it's probably not on your list anyway um and then 10 like this is literally my favorite thing that i love to do all the time and then what i would do in the second column is write potential to make money from so if you absolutely love collecting chopsticks there's probably not too much money you can make from that in the real world like there would be a way to do that but realistically that's a hard niche to crack whereas if you loved photography or graphic design there's lots of jobs out there that currently you can make a lot of money by doing that and people doing it freelance and working for themselves doing definitely that. look i'm going to derail you a little bit there um and we'll, we'll get back to that but um it's, it's just because that just made me really think of it um i was at an event last week and uh, it was a, the Rise and Shine event, which is uh, uh, an event for podcasters. If you are an aspiring podcaster, it's uh, you'd find it a really useful event to go to. Um, anyway, I was uh, I was speaking there, and I was giving advice to someone, and they were talking to me about their partner's interest, um, which was Morse code. And she kind of dismissed it and said, but obviously you could never yeah. make money from Morse code. And I think previously I probably would have agreed and said, yeah, you can't make money from Morse code. But the more that I'm I'm looking online and finding these little pockets of these niches, um, for example, uh, I follow a couple of uh, toy collecting mm-hmm. Instagram accounts. Seeing the way that they are monetizing um, I really feel that whatever your niche is, whether it's chopsticks, stamp collecting, toy collecting, Morse code, whatever it is, I think you can monetize it because if you can, and like you can't monetize it instantly, but if you can build, like Kevin Kelly talks about 1,000 true fans, mm-hmm. if you can build a community around that niche, around what you do, and then 
say it's Morse code and you and you bring out a t-shirt every month. And if you've got 1,000 true fans that are really interested in all of the content that you produce around Morse code, the the shows that you do around it, the the blogs about the history that you're doing on it, and you're you're finding your tribe. If you are if you're cleverly marketing to that tribe and they like your content, then they will support you. So mm-hmm. I think, I think, yeah, but exactly what you said, as you're putting it down on the list, there's ones that are going to be harder. And so lean towards the ones that are going to be easier to monetize. But I don't think that, I, I think that anything is possible to make I think, a- I think anything is possible. And if your one true passion is Morse code and there's nothing else for the list, then go ahead and do that. But it's a lot easier to find one job a month doing graphic design than forming a community of thousands of people who could potentially support that going forward. Yeah, yeah. So sorry about that. Back to the That's list. Right. So yeah, on this piece of paper, you've got all of the different things you're passionate about. And then the first column after that, we've got your happiness rating out of 10. And then the column after that, we've got the potential to make money from each of those ones based on what the current climate's like, what if, if people have jobs doing those kind of things already, rate it out of 10 again. And then the last column is basically a total. So if you go across and add the two numbers from the previous columns into the final one, and then look at all the totals and see which ones of those are the highest, because then they're things that you love highly and have a good chance to make money from. So maybe that's a good way to go. Yeah, I would agree with that. As we preach on this podcast always, the at the end of the day, happiness is the goal so something that you enjoy that can also support you it's it's definitely a combination of those two factors mm-hmm. so yeah i think that's really important and it it feels so hard to to shut shut those doors because if you're if you are interested in lots of different things but i mean look at us we we've got so many different things that we're working on like you're doing photography i'm doing speaking gigs we've got a podcast we have four businesses and we're working on on all of those at the same yeah. time. And when we when we first started, we had to really kind of narrow down on doing graffiti, talking about graffiti, um, getting better at painting, um, alongside sort of marketing everything that we were doing around that. But as we've grown and that and we're kind of supported financially by the business, we can we can now explore our other. So it was never too late because I mm. was always interested in speaking nine years ago when we were, when we first started. Yeah. But I had to pick one thing and, and do it well. And then the other things we can, you can start to experiment later on down, yeah. the, down I think, the line. I think picking one thing and doing things well is a great way to grow confidence as well. Because if you get really confident at doing one thing, you can then use that confidence in other different endeavors. Whereas if you try and do lots of things and you never get great results from it, you're never going to build confidence in any way because you're only getting these little bits here and there rather than this one strong thing you've grown that's giving you all this confidence. Yeah, and it's like we we wouldn't have been able to start a podcast like five years ago no. because we weren't we weren't qualified to be talking about what we're talking about. We yeah. weren't we weren't confident enough because we didn't have the pedigree behind us of having of having actually achieved something. Mm. Yeah, especially this format of podcast. Everything is a journey. We're mm-hmm. we're all on a journey, and just because you close the door on something now doesn't mean you can't reopen it in in the future. Yeah, an example of someone who's really evolved in their career is George Benson, today's guest. Yeah, definitely. George Benson is a YouTube content creator who's literally grown up online. 
He built a huge audience when he was just a teenager through a series of gaming videos and comedy impressions. But as he's grown and evolved, so has his content. George found a way to maximize an opportunity and pivot into travel blogging. And he now leverages brand partnerships to not only earn a living, but to also see the world. After dropping out of university twice, George learned valuable lessons in the field by actually doing. And this has allowed him to create a life on his own terms. In this episode, we talk about dealing with negative comments, chat roulette, and being your own boss. If I did have a boss and someone telling me what to do, would I be happy? No, because I've always tried to go away from having that someone above me to control me. Hello, George Benson. Hello. Thank you for inviting me in. Oh, thank you for thank you for coming. So, if anyone listening to this is not one of your one million YouTube subscribers, who is George Benson? Well, that's a question I ask myself a lot. I have been doing YouTube for eight years. I've done a lot of different things on YouTube. I kind of found myself in the regular going to university because I've been told to go to university, and then not quite thinking it was what I expected it to be. Had a lot of parties, had a lot of fun, but then realized it wasn't really the path I wanted to take with my life. So dropped out twice, <laughs> didn't even finish a year, paid for a year though, which is a bit of a nightmare, but uh, that's long in the past. I basically now talk a lot about football on my YouTube channel, a lot of travel, and at the moment I'm trying to start a new business. So it's kind of a new journey that I'm embarking on at the moment. Talk to me about dropping out of uni. I'm guessing at the time you didn't really have like a clear set career to jump into. So that must've been like quite a scary unknown time for you. Yeah, it was, I wanted to, the only subjects at school I really enjoyed was business. And I think it's because it was so different to the conventional subjects that you learn right from the start. So like straight away you're thrown into math, science and English. And that PE is like the fun one, the one that you always look forward to every yeah. week. And then as you get a bit older and you start to realize that actually business is what makes the world go round and mm-hmm. what makes everybody tick. It's like, okay, I want to get an interest in this. So I thought that was the obvious path because the school I went to, there wasn't ever really anything about, okay, what do you want to do if you don't go to university? What if you don't get the grades and you're not accepted? It's kind of like those people were shunned to the side and it's like one session a year, someone would come in who doesn't go to university or has not got a degree and it's like, yeah. oh, actually, there's this apprenticeship you can do. And it's like, well, I don't really like the sound of any of that. So I went along the traditional path, got into business management at Swansea, wanted to be in Cardiff. So it's kind of one of those where... Closest you could get. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, I think if I would have tried harder in school, because I'd yeah. already started making YouTube videos by this point. So it was kind of like in my spare time when I should have been doing homework, I was starting to make videos. And if I would have spent more time on work, I probably would have got into my first choice uni and therefore probably would never have dropped out. So it's Crazy, weird yeah. like how it all happens and how now I'm sat here because I didn't necessarily try as hard as I should have done yeah. and then dropped out. But it was when I first got there, I was only on like 900 subscribers. Mm-hmm. which as we all know that's not really a number to make any sort of career yeah. out of YouTube so it was like a it was a hobby that I wanted to invest more time into but I knew that it probably wasn't a a long-term project but it's like that little little baby you want to nurture on the side where you know you maybe shouldn't give it as much time but you do anyway yeah so I was kind of watering that plant for a while lasted about three weeks because my accommodation was dreadful 
wasn't even any <laughs> heating. I don't know if you've ever been to Swansea. No. It's cold. Yeah. It's yeah. freezing. Yeah. <laughs> that wind comes in off the sea. September, freezing cold. I was like, I want to get out of here. And I actually got put in hospital. This is quite a cool story. So I went out on a regular student night out. Yeah. And I was told that sometimes there's arranged fights in uh, some of the Welsh cities. So people come down from like the country areas, the valleys. I don't want to say that everyone does this, but this is what I was told. They come down to the cities and they arrange fights in clubs. So they're all going to scrap with one another. Yeah. So I've obviously been in the bathroom at the time that said scrap was going to happen and ended up with nine bells being knocked out of me, put in hospital. And then that was the moment where I was just like, I'm out of here. I didn't go to another lecture after That's that. It's not a nice welcome to uni, is it? It's not. <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't really too sure on it in the first place. So that was just <laughs> yeah. the, the yeah. coffin. Like, I'm out of here. Get me home. <laughs> yeah, I think that's enough to put anyone off is yeah. uh, getting beaten up. So really good that you got beaten up though, because uh, now you're doing everything you're doing. So Absolutely. Really, yeah. everything, everything happens, happens for, for a reason. Yeah, no, that was good. I went home, tried working on it. My dad said to me that if he doesn't see any progress with what I was doing, then I have to spend every day on the building site. And of course, my answer was, yeah, no worries. I don't think he was expecting me to just well, be like, progress, of course. Progress, you mean with the YouTube channel? Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. So it was like, if you're going to try and do more of this, there's got to be some element of seeing a paycheck. Yeah. Uh, at the time, I was living with my nan. So she was basically funding an 18 year old to live there which of course like I need to be doing something Yeah. so I got a job hoovering offices and I was listening to podcasts as I was going around so it was like two hours a day six days a week what year was um, this? this was what would that have been 2012 seven years ago now, that's quite weird whose podcast were you listening to? I don't know if you've ever heard of PTFO it used to be quite big. It was a load of gaming YouTubers in the US. That's they basically just <laughs> chatted crap for like four hours. So that was that they did one every week. So I try and do an hour and then pause it and then an hour the next day, an hour the next day so I could get through my week. And at the time I hadn't heard of any of the podcasts. So that was like, that was what I thought a podcast was. I was like, yeah. oh, it just must be this. So I was doing that and uh, making a bit of money, bit of cash in my pocket. And then as soon as I made enough, I bought a capture card for recording video games on the screen. And back in back in those days, it wasn't like a little thing you fit in your pocket. It was this big machine with like these, you know, the thick colored cables that yeah, go into yeah, the yeah. back of your TV. One of those. And uh, started recording on my, my laptop that was falling apart as well from uni. That managed to get damaged in the van on the way back from Swansea. Yeah. It's probably the wind. Blame the wind. <laughs> yeah, I started to try and build up some sort of an audience by changing what I was doing a little bit. The whole commentary thing wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Hadn't really learned too much about how to speak or anything there. So it wasn't really very engaging. And then I found out I could do some impressions of people, which was... Uh, Something I've always been able to do. I'd kind of like watch someone on TV and then try and replicate what I heard. And then whoever I was watching it with was like, that actually sounded quite quite like him or quite like her. So that took off and that was starting to get like, I was going from like 800, 900 views and then these videos would spike at like 100,000. Oh, wow. So you know what it's like. You see something that's doing well and it's like, okay, like if I want to make something like this, if I want to prove to my dad that this is actually going to work out, I better do a bit more of it. So I spent a bit more time doing those. I was kind of trying to integrate impressions into video game stuff. So I was getting reactions live instead of like the whole trolling thing that there was a big craze of that. It was more of just like 
I'm going to annoy you, but make you laugh whilst I'm annoying you. So yeah. then you can't be too angry at me. <laughs> but if you are, great, because that's a great reaction and the internet's going to love that. Yeah. So I did that. It didn't quite take off as much as I wanted it to. So then I went to uni again. Mm-hmm. I went to Cheltenham to do radio, okay. which I thought was a little bit more along the lines of this kind of thing, which is what I wanted to be doing. So was that off the back of doing these YouTube commentaries? You thought radio might be the way to go? Yeah. Yeah. So it was... Again, it was a trial and error for me, trying to make something work so that I didn't have to go back. Mm -hmm. I was still quite excited to go back because growing up, I always wanted to be a football commentator. It's kind of like that was the dream for me. It was like, okay, if I can be on Sky Sports at 4pm on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, then that's when I think I'm going to have hit the pinnacle of life kind of thing. So radio was like an easy segue into me not monotonously working on calculators and stuff at uni and actually doing something a bit more proactive. So I went there and found out that radio is kind of on the downfall and they were were kind of struggling to put together a a proper course, I think. It was more of like a let's just botch all of this together and teach you about the history of radio and really all I wanted to do was do this, you know, talk to a mic, try and talk to an audience and I was figuring out that I was only really getting that opportunity when... I was actually going out off my own back and doing, say, I did Gloucester radio and doing the Gloucester City football games. Mm-hmm. I was going down there and commentating that. And they gave you a team sheet. You get your little mic that you hold up to your mouth. I was like, this is it. This is great. How did you get into that? Did you just approach them and say, this is what I want to do? Yeah. So the one thing the uni did well was they did try and put you in contact with the local stations to say, like, well, obviously you, you want to get experience. You actually want to get some on the field access. Yeah. So they put us forward for that. But at the same time, I was, me and a friend, Chris, we were the only ones that were interested in sports. Mm-hmm. And the lecturers, none of them were interested in sports. So immediately, even from like the first couple of assignments, when obviously I'd pick football as my speciality topic, because it's what I know the most about. Mm-hmm. And because they didn't resonate with that, I felt like it was too subjective. So I was just getting marked down on stuff that I thought was pretty good when really it was just because they didn't hold the same interest as me. So it was, yeah. I thought it was kind of unfair. So again, I was just trying to make this YouTube thing meet, trying to be able to prove that it's going to be a worthwhile, not just to myself, but the family as well. Like I can't yeah. go home and live with my family if I'm not going to be able to prove that I can pay my way. You know, it was like a very middle-class family. We've got to try and all do our bit. So I had another breakthrough doing the impressions. It kind of went from... 50 to 100,000 spike to like a half a million spike. And you know what it's like when you see half a million, like if the ads are good and the time of year is right, that could be like a thousand pounds, 1500, 2000 pounds. And as a kid who was just going around hoovering offices for like seven pound an hour, this was next level. I'm literally just acting like an idiot on my headset and I'm getting paid to do this. (laughs) And at the time I wasn't thinking of, oh, actually you're learning how to edit videos now. Yeah, You're actually... I never really saw YouTube as a business. I always just thought it was a load of fun. And then as soon as I started making money from it, it kind of alarm bells started hitting like, okay, actually I probably could go home now, keep making these videos and not have to go and work on the building site. And so that money was coming in through just through the ads that YouTube are rolling on your on your videos or was it yeah. brand partnerships? Just, yeah, from, yeah. just from the ads? Just from the ads. Well, I don't know if you guys have ever had YouTube channels. Yeah, yeah, we're on YouTube. So you get all of those MCNs just sending you emails saying, yeah, we can offer you a 60-40 split. 
and there was maybe like 10 or 12 of these every time I posted, like a semi-viral video. Yeah. And I had no idea what it was. I didn't even know that these things existed. Other than what I'd heard on the podcast, it was like, uh, I thought it was just, again, like a little pipe dream. Like, I'm just going to make these funny videos. I'm not actually going to be able to do it full yeah. time like all of the other guys. Didn't actually What's believe it called an M- MCN? Yeah. Multi... I, this used to I, this used to just roll off of my tongue. It's a multi-channel network. So a network that just has a load of channels signed to it, basically, to get ad share. Right. Kind of dodgy in a sense, I guess. Yeah, particularly when you're a 17, 18-year-old who has no concept of contracts. Yeah. No concept of like the real value of anything that I'm doing. They're trying to exploit you, basically. To an extent. I think there was a lot of that where until I really had representation and someone who would know the space and actually look over the contracts that I was signing, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. It was just like, oh, this is cool. Like this makes me like the guys on the podcast I listen to. So this is the right thing to do. There wasn't really- So you were signing a lot of these deals then? Yeah. I I was just signing up saying like, yeah, I'll happily give you another 20% of my revenue just to say that I'm signed with you. Because at the time, I didn't realize that you could just go with Google Ads. I, I thought you had to have this this MCN. Like that was the only way. That was the, the holy grail. I'm yeah. sure they worded their emails so that you believed that. Absolutely. Yeah. Like they were saying, like, yeah, we can, we, can, we can work with brands too. We can, we can get you deals with this company and that company. And you know what it's like. You see the lights and you're like, I'm going that way. That's, that's it. That's where I want to be. And then, yeah, things just took off from there, really. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. At that point, what point did you decide then? Because I think the great thing about you being on the radio course is because it was just practice, practice, practice and the grade and the teachers marking you down because you were into sports and all of that stuff is all irrelevant because really it was a great foundation. So it was kind of good in a way because it was getting you out there in the public with a mic in your hand and just and like the red lights on and go. Yeah. So that was obviously a good thing. But what at what stage were you like... I'm probably better off just doing this on my own. Thing is, when I was spending more hours per week learning about history and complete non-radio subjects that were just media-based subjects with it was all written down, and I was just looking at the time I'd spend behind a microphone, which is the only thing I cared about compared to the time editing, compared to all of that time doing all this history. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm paying 8000 a year for this. And I've paid one and I'm already getting it cold feet. Imagine if I do this for three more years. It's not just where's the money gone. It's what am I actually learning from this? Have there been any occasions where like the history or anything like that has been useful to you? Not at all. It's like, when am I ever going to need to use Pythagoras at school? (laughs) But I spent how many hours doing that? Never got taught how to file taxes. I just think there's so many things within the education system that are used to fill out to be able to say we've got a course here. And I don't think maybe 70% of the stuff I've learned has ever been applicable to anything I've ever done. Where have you learned most of what you've learned? Trial and error. I think time in front of the laptop, time on the microphone, just experimenting with things such as editing. I was in Final Cut. And I had no idea what I was doing. I was watching YouTube tutorials and just getting frustrated because I'm, I'm not very good at following a tutorial. Okay. If one step goes wrong, I'm quite bad at taking it back and redoing it and starting it again. I get frustrated with it. So there was a lot of times where I put something out that was just a really bad job. But because the actual content of it was strong, people kind of saw through it. But 
as you're doing it more and more, you kind of train your eye and your ear to recognize where there's a flaw, where there's an error. So even though people weren't necessarily picking it up, I was looking at it because I was doing this every day and thinking, I know I can do that better. I need to work on this. I need to work on that. And from there, it kind of just progressed with my knowledge of the editing suite. That probably enabled me to make all of the changes I've made through time with my content because I realized that I wasn't limited to just doing like a video game gameplay with a commentary over the top with maybe another audio bed as well. And then a track. It's like, okay, well, actually, I know how to use a camera now. I know how to maybe do some cinematic B-roll, make these videos more interesting. And I think with all of this accumulation of knowledge from actually doing it day in, day out, whether it was just a hobby or whether I was starting to make money, all of that practice got me to a point where I was like, okay, now I can make this into a real career for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, yeah, you put in your 10,000 hours and it's, and it's paid off. Yeah. So did you ever feel any kind of reservations in putting yourself out there in front of the public? I know you've talked about sort of in the early days, how your mates were kind of taking the piss out of you and stuff like that. How did you get the courage up to actually kind of put yourself front and center? It's a weird one because at school I would always, I'd never really put myself in a group. I'd always be kind of just like flitting around between different groups. So I never really did anything outrightly outrageous to be part of like a clan. You know, you've got like the guys that hang around on the football courts. Then you've got the guys who hang around by the canteen. I was kind of just in between everybody. So the first time I ever really experienced conflict was when I started making these videos and people, I didn't really want to tell people other than those who I'd actually told that I'm going to start doing it too in the yeah. first place because people were just thinking I was a nerd just playing video games because normally I'd be in the sports teams but when I started to get good at Call of Duty it was like I'd stop going and playing football just to play COD and when you start letting people down like that people start to have these negative opinions of what you're doing and whether they actually care about it or not they're just going to say but they're going to try and put you down so it was difficult to actually go into school and see people like on their phone sniggering at what I'm doing because I knew it wasn't exactly how I wanted it to be because yeah. I was still nervous even though I was in my bedroom with just this headset on. I knew that people were going to see it and I think you can tell that from my initial videos. It's like I do sound very nervous and I've never really been like that in school. I'd always be like making jokes and trying to be friends with everybody so that that was tough to to have especially the popular kids who would then go and share it yeah. amongst themselves it's like all of a sudden everyone knows about my little call of duty commentaries and I kind of just wanted it to be my own little close-knit people that I actually wanted to gain any value from it so that was tough I, I didn't really know how to react to that at the time it was always a battle as to whether or not I go home and do another video that night or whether I actually just stop altogether how did you deal with it was there a point where you actually thought I might quit this It's when I started doing, I did a couple of old videos where I did include some of the impressions. I might might do some on on today if I I get some more water down my throat. I've not done them for ages. But that's when people's like, oh, that was funny. You're not a nerd anymore. That's that's quite funny, George. And I'm like, huh, so maybe if I just like put a few of these in between, then people will stop giving me a hard time. And they did, funnily enough. And this was only during the last six months of school. So it it wasn't a long period of time that I had yeah. to go through all of that stuff. It was, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't long. Six months is, is nothing when you've got exams as well. Yeah. That time flies. So what, was, what would you it. say to someone who was starting a channel now who was in that same position and say, say they're in year eight or nine or something. So yeah. you've got a long time left of being in that situation. 
I think everything has been completely blown up now in a sense that all of that pressure that comes from people maybe seeing your videos is elevated to new levels by Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Like my youngest sister, she's 12 and she's in school now and she's messaging her mum all the time on her phone. And if she's messaging her mum all the time on the phone, that probably means that she's on Instagram under the table. Everything is so easily accessible that we're always under the public spotlight. And I've always seen social media as like the Coliseum for life these days where you're in there and it is a battle if you choose to be involved or you could just be a spectator and watch other people fight amongst themselves. It's kind of like a, we're all putting ourselves out there to be judged. And because there are all these social platforms that supplement, say, a YouTube channel or a podcast, you are allowing yourself to be judged by people everywhere you go. And that's not just the people that see you walking down the street who you might be affected by the look that you get. So I think if someone is young and they're looking to get into this now, you've really got to be in it for all of the right reasons for yourself. There's got to be like a real passion behind what you're trying to say, what you're trying to do, where if someone comes to you and says, I don't like that, that's rubbish. You look stupid. You can be like, well, I don't care. doesn't matter. Why should I care what you, what you think? Because you're just like everybody else who tries to put someone down who's doing something a little bit different and out of the ordinary. So I think you've really got to be aware and try and have that thick skin right from the word go because otherwise it can eat you up. We've seen it across social media, people coming out saying like, since I started doing this, yeah, I've made a bit of money, but my mental health has suffered. And I, I was starting to think the same way. Quite recently, about a year ago, all of the, the negative comments around, oh, we want you to go back to doing pack opening videos and we want you to go back on chat roulette on a Friday night and make us laugh with impressions. And I was like, geez, like I was a teenager when I was doing this. I'm an yeah. adult now. Like, I'm growing up. I need to change with who I am as a person. Otherwise, I'm going to get lost in this rabbit hole of depression. I'm going to get lost in this rabbit hole of worrying too much about what people think of me and ending up looking at what I've done in five years' time being like, if only... I could have just ignored it. If only I could have just stuck on the path that I chose as opposed to the one that people are trying to choreograph for me. I, it's, it's never going to work out. I love the analogy of the Coliseum because it's so like, just remember how easy it is for the people that are watching the battle to have all of their millions of opinions, but then none of them are actually stepping out onto that battlefield. I love Absolutely. that. So, yeah, so powerful. I mean, you could use a Coliseum or a football pitch, like, people get booed like Gareth Bale right now good example at Real Madrid like he goes out and he's a world class footballer making 28 million euros a year or whatever it is he gets booed by his own fans but at the same time he's still on the pitch kicking the ball and trying to do the right thing so at the end of the day you just have to try and zone out from that as much as possible and it's it's easier said than done but I've gone through it and I've almost hit that point where it got too much where it was like you know what I've had enough and just quit and not do it. But I've kind of tried to ignore it and I think I've done a good job of that. Yeah, concentrate on the game, not the spectators. Absolutely. Brilliant. So, and it's clear watching your channel that you've evolved over the years and it's been kind of, it's been great to see you kind of grow up over that time. So you started off doing the impressions and then obviously the you mentioned chat roulette, you'd do kind of reaction videos on chat roulette and all of that sort of stuff. And those were kind of garnering massive numbers for you. But you've kind of decided to sacrifice 
those big views, kind of less clickbaity titles, less kind of shock, shock tactics on your channel to talk about stuff that you actually care about and more of your kind of everyday life and more about you as a, as a human. And for me, I'd much rather watch that. So how has that transition gone from you and how did you justify to yourself sacrificing those views for kind of almost like junk food I guess in the way for like yeah. a more healthy meal if that makes sense I like that that's a good no one's ever said that before I like that one <laughs> it's um again it goes back to being in school and just being like a social butterfly like trying to be involved with everything when I was making those chat roulette videos I wasn't watching anything similar I was always watching say, for example, Fun for Louis, Mr. Ben Brown, vloggers, travel vloggers. And I was yeah. looking at what they were doing and thinking, okay, so they're getting paid to do what they want to do for a living. I'm getting paid to do kind of what I want to do, but it isn't exactly what I want to do. This is just what's working now. Mm -hmm. This isn't, I, I can't do this forever. And it was getting to the point where I was losing my social life because I was saying no to going out on a Friday or a Saturday night because that was the best prime time for chat roulette banter. <laughs> like, the, I, I used to have it so I'd have it set to the UK people and Americans and Canadians. But then I got rid of the UK people because no one found me funny. So it was like, you can't really just act like an idiot because people see people that act like an, a British idiot every day. Yeah. It's the Americans <laughs> and Canadians that were getting the best reactions. So when I started to realized that I was genuinely giving up so many opportunities just to make these videos. And it wasn't actually how I wanted to be living. I had to make a change. I had to stop doing it because again, it was getting to that point where I was only doing it to please other people. And yeah, okay. It was pleasing my bank account at the time because these videos, like you said, they were getting millions of views, some of them, which equates to thousands of pounds, but that wasn't satisfying me to the point where I knew that my late teenage years, early twenties are going to be the best years of my life. So everyone's told me make the most of it. It's kind of, it's kind of a little bit hypocritical, really like go to uni, get all of this done. But yeah, you, you, your twenties are going to be the best years of your life. I've always thought it's very hypocritical how you can be stuck doing something that you've been told to do. And then you've actually wasted what could be your best time. And I kind of felt like that within myself that these chat roulette videos, they were good, but they weren't great. They weren't fulfilling me inside. They weren't making me excited to get up and work. It was more of just like a, okay, this this is paying the bills and it's getting me an audience. Again, wasn't thinking of it from a business perspective. It was solely personal enjoyment. Can I make a living off of having fun? Yeah. If yes, great, let's change it up again. So to go from millions of views to say a hundred hundreds of thousands of views again always a battle of checking in with myself and saying like okay does this affect me too much to stop me doing this altogether yeah no okay let's carry on with it let's move forward with it and it's always been that way for me where as long as i can make ends meet i will keep doing whatever the hell i want to do because i know that the people that care the most will follow me no matter what there are a moment that really flicked where you were like actually, this is the end of that chapter and let's move forward with this new one. Started to get privacy complaints. So I'd always ask people on the chat roulette videos if they minded being on YouTube. Yeah. Most people don't expect when they're asked that question to be seen by millions. Yeah. So when people would see that they'd been seen by millions, it would trigger some sort of social anxiety where it's like, okay, people have seen me drunk 
on a Friday night acting like an idiot with a stranger online. Yeah. It's quite embarrassing being on those websites, I think, for most people. People yeah. just kind of do it in the dark at home. Do you know what I mean? So I think as it started to get so popular, I started to have so many issues with people trying to strike down videos. Uh, they were being demonetized. It was getting to a point where my IP address was getting banned on the websites because they thought I was doing bad things. Yeah which uh, I don't think I was doing bad things. I think I was just making entertaining content, but I understand that completely. And I never wanted to try and wind people up to the point where they were getting genuinely upset. And there was a few people that messaged me saying like, this has really affected me. I'm feeling really depressed now. And I was like, I don't want to be doing this. Like, this is not what I started this for. It was just a bit of fun. Yeah. So it was getting a bit too much. You've, um, you've obviously been to some amazing places. Have you got, have you got a favorite country that you visited? I do. Canada ah. it is so beautiful. And I find the people are just so humble and welcoming that everyone's so proud in Canada. And I absolutely love that. Like you get it here in the UK where people are proud to be English, but then all we ever do is complain about the weather and the wages and everything. So it's kind of like Canadians just seem to be like the happiest people I've ever seen. Indonesia too. Yeah. If you meet locals in Indonesia, they're always super welcoming, very passionate about their religions, very passionate about their culture. Probably Canada number one, though. Yeah, I think it's Canada probably number one for me as well. I've not been to Canada, but it's so high on my list. Dude, you've got to go. Indonesia is great. It's amazing. I think the thing about Canada is before going, I had been told by so many people that oh you won't believe it when you see the mountains. Like it's just you just won't believe it. So it had been hyped up so much that I was like I really thought I'd be like, oh, there's the mountains that everyone told me are amazing. <laughs> and they, but like, it just knocked me on my ass. Like, yeah. it's so incredible. I just remember we were, we were driving to Banff and just seeing it in the distance and then coming up to it and just the vastness of these mountains, just the most incredible and beautiful thing I've ever seen. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to go there with Travel Alberta. So they kind of laid on like a really, really awesome trip for us. Yeah. But it was always near the top of my list because my grandmother, she's not with us anymore, but she was a photographer, a wildlife photographer. Yeah. And she'd go out to Yellowstone National Park and Canada in the Rocky Mountains just to photograph wolves because she worked for the UK Wolf Conservation Trust, which is oh, quite cool. Yeah. So she was she had a big passion for that. And when I saw her photos, I was like, one day I have to go here. Like this is next level stuff. Didn't see any wolves, but that was fun to kind of go from seeing her pictures to then go for work was yeah. quite a cool moment. Was quite how, did you, how did you flip from doing impressions and chat roulette and funny stuff to, to doing travel videos? Watching people. I was just thinking, if these guys can do that, I think I'd have more fun doing that than doing these impressions videos. Yeah. And I've always really been keen on traveling as well. Like I always remember as a kid, we'd have a family holiday probably to Spain every year and flying home. Like it almost made me cry like as a kid. Like it was because I, that was so much fun and I want to be anywhere but home right now. And that's kind of something that I've gone with over the past like three or four years. It's kind of like, okay, I know where my home is. I know that I've got family who love me. I have people that care about me and I always know I've got somewhere to go, which I'm very lucky to have. But that aching for just traveling somewhere, seeing mountains, seeing the beach, seeing something completely new that just is yeah. different to every sense you've got in your body. It's kind of like a drug. 
in a way where people say you get the travel bug. It's like, yeah, you actually do. That's a real thing, by the yeah. way. Like if you start doing it, you want to do more of it. And I was trying to, I always had Los Angeles as like a, an aim that I had from through YouTube. There was a load of events called VidCon. Don't know if you've yeah. heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. VidCon. And there was also E3, which was the gaming convention. Yeah. That's been like, as a kid, to me, that was the absolute pinnacle yeah. of things that I wanted to go yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, me too. And then I got invited one year. So that was like a really big moment where yeah. it's like, oh, wow, I'm actually going to go to this thing now that I didn't think was ever possible. There was always like aspirational places that I saw. And then when I was there, I found myself doing vlogs, even though I wasn't really a vlogger at the time. I just had it as like a second thing. And I was filming everything. I'd get back from like an eight hour day out and I'd film like six hours of it because <laughs> I was just so transfixed and so amazed by everything around me that was so new and so different. And I'd seen it in other people's videos. And at the time I just wanted to make them myself. So again, at first I thought I had to film everything because it was like, okay, well, if only my eyes were recording 4k video right now, because yeah. then I'd have a load of content to film, but going around with the camera was very different to just sitting in front of the webcam. Yeah. And I didn't really know the best way to structure those kind of videos. So I just filmed like everything I saw. I always wanted to get into it from probably the moment I started making the chat roulette videos is when I started watching the travel vloggers. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like I knew that there was going to be a shelf life for my chat roulette content. And then eventually I'd want to segue into the travel vlogs. And I think that was the best decision I ever made in my life. Super lucky getting that invite. Yeah, like, thank you very much to Activision. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that came from from making the gaming videos. A gaming company then sparked the, the travel stuff. That's really cool. And it's yeah. and I love the way that you took advantage of, you basically saw a way, a way in. All of a sudden, it's like, aha, they bought a plane ticket. Now I can do a travel vlog and, and then you can kind of go from there. Yeah, and when you're a youngster, you never really want to spend say seven, 800 pounds on a flight. Cause it's like, okay, well, do I get something in my hands yeah. for seven, 800 pounds? Like for me at the time, it was getting new screens or getting new games or buying FIFA points or something like that's where I wanted to spend 800 pounds. So the idea of getting on a plane and spending 700 pounds and then at the end of it, I'm okay, I'm in a new place, but I don't have anything new in my hands. Yeah. Like that, that was kind of like a childish mindset that I had to get out of because it's like, okay, well, if you spend a bit of money, you then put yourself in a whole new environment that sparks whole new levels of creativity, which in turn makes more content, which then as a result of which can make you more money and build your brand, build your business. So that first trip where it was paid for for me was like the turning point for me where I realized, okay, in order for me to be able to go into this part of the online world, sometimes it's going to cost me some money. Sometimes I'm going to have to drop a few hundred pounds on some flights. Mm -hmm. And some hotels because I, I didn't really know how to travel. I'd never really been put into the whole idea of backpacking. I'd never really thought of it. I'd never really thought it was possible. It was kind of just like a, all of a sudden I was in into this world and I've been thrown in with a luxury trip. And now you get a taste and a flavor for that. And it's like, I want more. I want to do this again. But uh, you can't always be fortunate enough to be flown out by a company. So what did you do after that Activision trip? Went home, sulked for a little while that I was home. I was just like, oh, it's cold here. Like, people aren't as nice. What do I do? How do I get, get back into this? So I started doing a lot more vlogs at home. And honestly, I didn't, I don't know even to this day why people found it interesting. It was, I'd literally go to the coffee shop, buy a flat white, 
then an Americano, maybe like your classic avo on toast. I'd film it, waffle for five minutes around that and people were loving it. And people started to like seeing me live lives that I would consider being really normal. But that was the moment where I stopped spending all day in my office, stopped spending all day in my bedroom. And I was like, okay, well now my desk isn't assigned to this room. I could work anywhere. And I think that's where like now all I do is I work in coffee shops all the time because it's like, A, I love coffee. I love the culture behind it. And the idea of having a desk in one place now freaks me out a little bit. So I want to be, I want my desk to be anywhere I want it to be. And that's kind of how I've grown as a person where it's like, I have to be out doing stuff all the time. Otherwise I'm just don't feel fulfilled at all. How do you stay motivated? Because obviously you're your own boss. You haven't got anyone telling you what to do. I think it is just that in itself. Like if I did have a boss and someone telling me what to do, would I be happy? No, because I've always tried to go away from having that someone above me to control me and tell me what to do. Like even, even in school, like being told I had to go and do this assignment in my head, I, I kind of knew already that it wasn't going to be, it wasn't going to give me anything other than yeah. that tick to say that I've done it. Like you, good job. You got your work done. It's like, okay, but what does that mean? So I don't ever want to go back to having someone tell me that you must do this by this time. You have to do this. And I love having those deadlines myself. Like being accountable only for me is the best thing ever because when I do screw up, it just gives me so many windows of opportunity to grow as a person because it's like yeah. you have to accept responsibility. And you've got yourself to blame for exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really nice thing. And a lot of people don't want that. A lot of people want to be able to fall back on being able to blame the boss for not telling them the instructions correctly. Whereas for me, I kind of, I love the struggle. I love being able to know that something isn't working out and it's up to me to change that. And it's up to me if a video isn't edited properly and people start complaining about that because they never used to do it because like the audience weren't, they weren't consciously involved, I don't yeah. think. It was just like three or four minutes of laughter and then out the door. Whereas now it's kind of people invest in you. They invested in me. So I am now putting every element of my life almost on the internet. So if I make mistakes or if I do something wrong or if there's something technically not as good as the last time, I know I'm going to get called out on it. So I technically do have a boss. It's, it is the comments, <laughs> but it's up to me to choose whether I listen. And that all goes back to what I said earlier about being that Coliseum and like you can listen to the crowd and they could spur you on to do better and do more or you can let it yourself curl back in a corner and be like, ah, people don't like this content, better not upload it then. And I think that for me would be a nightmare because if I did listen to what everyone said, I'd be back at home in the same office doing chat roulette videos again because people still ask for it all the time. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a nightmare. I've, I should block the words in my comment section. But uh, no, I'm can very... You do that? You can, yeah. You can block certain words. So like, I don't have any swear words in my comments. People have to go around it with like new letters. And people do. Like the people yeah. that you see, the negative ones that like, they're just trying to like we weasel their way in. They find ways to get around <laughs> those blocked comments. It's hilarious. You wonka. <laughs> yeah, you wonka. Willy wonka. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, people can be really brutal on on you, and it seems YouTube specifically. I mean, I've, I've not seen many people getting hatred on Instagram or anything like that. What What do you think it is about YouTube that brings out that vitriol in people? I don't know. I think it's uh, when you comment. This is going to sound really stupid, but the bar's bigger. 
So like when the comment box on YouTube yeah. is far bigger than it is on Instagram. And I think for the people that genuinely want to spread negativity, this is just like the whole world opens up in front of them and it's like, right, my keyboard can do anything I want it to do. Let's let's make let's do some damage here. Yeah. And I, I I genuinely fear for these people because it's like any negative comment that you see on anything, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, it's all a reflection of someone's insecurities behind that keyboard. Mm-hmm. And that's sad. Like I really genuinely feel for these people. And I, at first I, I start being sarcastic and responding back. But when, when you see it like that, where it's like, okay, well, these people are commenting negative things because they have a lot of things going on in their life that's wrong. That's when you can start to ignore it more and actually start to empathize with these people a little bit because they must be going through something far worse than what they genuinely think about me Yeah, to have ever come up with something so horrible, like calling me a wonker, you know? Like, how dare you? <laughs> that's a really lovely way of looking at it. So well done for being so bloody mature. <laughs> I try. Yeah, because I, I don't know. I think I think it would end me if I read comments on uh, on YouTube. <laughs> it's but just yeah, you don't know like me. where it's coming from. Like, where have you been taught this language? Since when has this opinion ever been a good idea to publicise on the internet? Yeah. But it is, in their opinion. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I saw you reading out some of the negative comments people had to say about your hair. Yeah, it's <laughs> quite hilarious. Some of those were. Some of those were quite good. I mean, some of them were just idiots, but some of them were quite funny. Do you know what? That was actually I. I so I try not to give into it, but I, I think that the reason I got my hair cut was a lot of it down to the YouTube comments. But the funny thing is about it, there was, since then, my girlfriend works in a coffee shop very close to where we live. And there's, I'm in there every single day because I, I just think, oh, free coffee and I can work in a good environment, cool, good internet. There was a few people that went up to her at work saying, does that guy in here all the time? And she was like, yeah, that's my boyfriend. It's because they didn't recognize me with my hair. They genuinely thought I looked so different to when they used to maybe watch me that I was unrecognizable. And so that was quite interesting. And even on the comments on my videos, it's like, you look back to normal now, George. It's like, <laughs> normal? Really? Have I changed that much because my hair style is a little bit different to what you first got used to? I think that was a lot of uh, the pressure to get me to get it cut. And it was just a mess, wasn't it, really? Yeah. And then your girlfriend hated it, so yeah. well, that's, that's, that that's not good. Yeah, it's like, I can't, can't go and get it back on. It'll grow. <laughs> that's the good thing about hair. It, does, it can grow. It can yeah, grow. It always grows back. So, uh, so speaking of Tilda, um, you guys are off on an adventure pretty soon. Yes, we are. It's kind of like an open-ended adventure right now, which is really exciting. We've got a few plans of things that we are going to do. She might need to go back to Sweden to do a course for a year, which, again, wouldn't be too problematic for me because I quite like Sweden. I think it's quite a cool place. I've actually got a growing audience in Sweden right now. It's my third top country yeah. from just a few videos that I've made there and probably having her in the videos too. And you're learning a little bit of the language as well, right? Slowly but surely. It's it's a hard one to learn because there's a lot of sounds and letters that aren't in the conventional alphabets that we may be used to, like yeah. the French one, the German. It's quite different. So I think spending a bit of time there again would just be another new thing for me to learn and it's actually a beautiful country like there's so much beauty there like as soon as you go out of the cities it's just green and trees and wildlife which I want to get into that a lot more yeah going back to the Canada thing but uh yeah at the moment if we go back there I'll probably be basing out of Sweden for the foreseeable future and just going off around Europe around the world like kind of living out of a bag again which is quite exciting have you got any big travels planned the Bali one's going to be quite big because I've been back there four times. The first time was like adventure travel filming mode. 
and the other times were for party mode mm -hmm. and I could not be further away from that right now like I'm completely <laughs> off alcohol and the whole idea of going out there and just partying again yeah. it doesn't excite me so I'm going to definitely go back out there and try and explore some of the islands try and get off the beaten beaten track a little bit because I think it's it's quite overdone now Bali and I know that but it is kind of a place that does feel like home for me yeah. when I'm there because I've spent a lot of time there and I've kind of fallen in love with the place and the people so there's that and then I've got a couple of it's a classic like, I can't really talk about it because I'm yeah. not really allowed to but there's a couple of uh, potential big trips on the horizon as well with some brands that could be really exciting cool. yeah who's, um, who's sending you to Bali? That's off my own back. So I'm launching a new company, which again, I, I haven't even announced it myself. So I can't, I, I wish I could guys, but yeah. launching a new company is basically going to be like a video production slash community company mm -hmm. to again, try and get the audience of mine closer to what I'm doing to try and make it more personal, even more personal than vlogging. So that's going to be happening in Bali and I'm going to be filming the course for that out there as well. So it's going to be a super productive five weeks. Yeah. I'm really excited for it. Amount of time. It's going to be start, good. You're starting that with your brother. My well, my brother who has the same name as me, but we're not related. Ah, right. It's so weird. Like we're from, both from a small town. We both have the same name, but absolutely no relation whatsoever. Yeah, I just presumed he was your brother. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone does. Everyone does. Lawrence Benson and George Benson. You would you would think that, but no, we're basically like brothers. We spend all the time together anyway, and we travel for four him. months. Yeah, you guys are the same. Yeah, yeah. We spent four months together last year and didn't argue once. Lived in the same That's room good. basically for three months. You know, just when you find somebody who you work really well with, who even if there's like a conflict of interest, you somehow manage to figure it out. So that's why we're going into business together, basically. I think um, it's just a yeah. really good fit. It's good you've done that testing beforehand as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> like we, we were in Vietnam, Thailand, Australia, back of a camper van for three weeks as well. We, we do, we've been intimate <laughs> in that sense. <laughs> Nothing more than that. Because <laughs> we didn't do any testing, did we? No, we were kind we, of we, together, Yeah, just we? like, yeah, straight away. And then, yeah, nine years on, we were just, I guess, just lucky. Yeah, nine years now. Yeah, and I think... We always sort of see any new businesses that we open, it will always be the three of us, me, Adam and Yon are our business partner. So yeah, we just work super well together. We all know each other's strengths and weaknesses and yeah, yeah, we know whose roles are, whose roles are what and just, yeah, everything clicks and, and works together. And it is, it's hard to find, but I, I mean, I, I believe I wouldn't have achieved anything on my own. Um, these two, I need them for like, they complete the equation completely. So yeah, super, super grateful to have, to have found them. So I wanted to ask you about your fitness journey. I think you're really brave and we've, we've kind of touched on this already, but with, with how much you do put out online and you're just like, you're just like, this is me. And if you don't like it, then well, it's fine. So I, I really like that. And, um, what was the decision to, to put out the fitness thing? Cause I think it's come at a time of, for you, a mindset change as well. So was it kind of the partying that, that brought that on? Yeah, so the partying kind of led to my bike accident, which was a huge humbling moment for me because I went to the hospital and they were like, you, should, you shouldn't be alive. You know, when someone doesn't speak your language and there's not really any small talk, it's like they cut to the chase and they're like, you should be dead. And I'm there looking at myself in the mirror thinking, yeah, probably right. Something's got to change. Like, can't do this anymore. So what were you drunk driving? Yeah, a little bit. It was, I, I wasn't a little bit. drunk, but I was certainly over the limit. Yeah. And I wasn't wearing a helmet either. So you're asking for trouble. Mm -hmm. Like the moment you put a beer in your mouth and then jump on anything that, even a push bike, like idiot, stupid. 
Yeah, classic Asia story though, isn't it? So yeah, well, that's that. the thing. Like everyone else does it, so why can't I? And that's just not the way to go at all. Like honestly, if anyone listening to this is ever planning a trip there, do not ever drink and drive, no matter what you see around you. Like it's yeah. not cool, and it's so fucking tempting because like when we were out there, we'd be in this really cool bar that was at a beach miles away from home. But I was like, I can't drink here because I've got to drive us home, and I'm yeah, like, I'm responsible for someone else as well. So you just got to be sensible with it. Yeah, and it's other people on the road too. Like yeah. some, like a family might be, they go there with entire families on one bike. Yeah. And if you're swerving around or if you're, you're going to hit all of them off. Yeah. Like for me now, it's just like a complete no go. I'm going back out there again and I'm going to rent a bike. But even if I have a single beer on the beach, I will not be driving my bike. And you wear a helmet. At all. And I wear a helmet at all times, even if it is uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was kind of, for me, from going, segueing from that drinking phase, the partying phase into like a getting my head into books, learning more about myself kind of way. It was like, I, I knew that I'd been given a second chance in a way. My stupidity had kind of, I'd been let off the hook. So I'd be a fool to not try and develop myself as much as possible to, to be even able to elicit that advice to someone. The fitness thing was again, just like a personal peeve that I've always had with myself that I've gone and done a lot of things and I've achieved a lot of things at a young age, but I've never, ever taken my body seriously. I've never actually, because I'm not trying to do it to, to, for people to say, oh, he looks buff, he, he looks good. It's always been for myself. And I used to play a lot of tennis when I was a kid. I used to be quite, I, I never look a certain way, but I'd always be quite fit. I'd always be, I'd, I know I could run around all day long. And then now when I would be exercising about a year ago, I was like, geez, like, five minutes into a run and you are flagging out of your ass. Like, what is wrong with you? And then for the fitness thing, I put it out on one of my podcasts and said, I really want to do something about it. And I've tried little fitness journeys online before, never followed through with it. And again, I've always been accountable from the comments. People are like, oh, he's given up again. And it's like, oh, great. Yeah, you got a good point. I'm not very good at sticking to my word with that. So, and then Julian, who's my PT, got on board. He's a great guy. He's had like no on-camera experience. So the fact that he's doing what he's doing at the moment is great. Like, I think he's yeah. doing a great he's job. He's amazing. Yeah, he's such an insightful mind. I was talking to Adam about it earlier. Like yeah. I love his his insights on fitness, but but in like a more general sense of, of life and wellness, he's great. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where we work really well together because when he we He needs stand, to get on social media. He needs to like up his profile. He does. Yeah, Julian, if you're listening, I'm linking you this. You're going you're gonna to do it. He we're actually going to film some YouTube content for him next week. So I think he's starting that journey great, too. Great, great. But when we sat down, not far from here in a coffee shop, you know, Kahila on yeah, uh, yeah. Brick Lane, good yeah. place. We basically said how all of the body transformation videos on YouTube are just someone who went from being maybe a little bit overweight to being completely ripped. And within those videos, it's just, oh, wow, I can't believe how great I look. And yeah, yeah, I've done this and I've worked hard and you've got to stay motivated, guys. And it's like, okay, well, 12 weeks isn't five years. And a lot of these transformation videos are like one years, two years, five years, six months. So within those 12 weeks, there is more than enough time to undergo a complete mindset change in life in general. Mm -hmm. It's like you go from not taking fitness seriously. By the end of that 12 weeks, it's embedded into your day-to-day -day routine. And I wanted that to be my personal goal with the series. But at the same time, I wanted people that may be watching who are interested in fitness or are not interested in fitness to understand that the process and the progress you make during that is actually applicable to anything in life. And it isn't just about lifting weights in the gym. It's actually a dedication to discipline 
that is the real value I think we're giving in the yeah. series. It's like, okay, I'm injured. What happens there? Do we give up? No, we don't stop. It's a 12-week program. We find ways to train around it. We find ways to work our lives around trying to undergo a process that you want to see a beginning and end. And I think now for me, like even eight weeks in, I know 100% that at the end of those this 12 weeks, I'm not just yeah. going to go back and go to Bali and get on the beers and the booze every single day of the week. I'm, I'm yeah. going to be doing this for as long as I um, well, as long as I'm bothered about it, I change my mind on things all the time. <laughs> but like, I, I think I know now that now that I've dedicated myself to it, fitness is going to be a part of my life now for sure. I love it. It's great. Like having an excuse to say no to something for a good cause. Yeah. Again, is is something that I always struggled with. It's like, oh yeah, friends going to shop. My best friend, he loves refresher bars, <laughs> and I don't mean like one or two. It's like ten. 12 every time it's a FIFA session. Now I'm like, nope, I'll have a protein shake or I'll have a protein cookie. You should try them. They're really good. Cranberry. Yeah. <laughs> Cranberry and white chocolate is great. No, I'm really into it. And I think the audience are kind of, again, the same with any series. People start and everyone's interested. And then slowly but surely you tailor it down to those that really care. And then at the end, I expect it will spike up again. Mm-hmm. But people have really taken a lot from it. And I've received a lot of love in private messages in particular from people saying like, this is really, really inspiring. Not just like you can say anything's motivational, but yeah. this is genuinely getting me out and making a change. Yeah. Great. That's nice to see. That's amazing. Where can uh, people find you online? So Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is mainly just me ranting about football. Instagram, I try to take more seriously. I'm going to be taking a lot of photos when I'm away. Mr. George Benson. Couldn't get George Benson. There's a jazz singer who's quite... I'm quite popular I who's uh, <laughs> stolen that limelight and then um, on YouTube it's just George Benson but the username is still Herder of Buffalo which was an old alias that I had which is not really relevant to me at all now but it's kind of my whole story so yeah, that's still where you can find me on YouTube cool thanks Steve thank you Mr Benson thank you very much for having me this has been fun Thanks for listening. We're trying to help a lot of people with this show, so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message. If you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today, or they just need a little nudge in the right direction, pass this podcast on to them. If you want to hear more, then subscribe to us on iTunes. And if we helped you with anything, we'll really love you forever if you can leave us an iTunes review. It makes a huge difference. See ya. See ya.